Um, first off, I would like uh, to do a poll, um, and you can participate if you'd like, or if you don't want to, that's fine. Um, who has ever watched our uh, videos on the internet, like our live stream sermon through Facebook or YouTube, okay? Those of you who didn't raise your hand are here every Sunday, I guess, so you don't have to watch it when you're not here, no. Um, what we're going to do is we're considering probably going to move our live stream to Facebook, and I mean, no, no, uh, to YouTube from Facebook. Currently, it's on Facebook. We're going to move that to YouTube, and the guys who are way smarter about that kind of a thing say that it will be, it will be better, better quality. It'll be easier for folks to use. So um, if you are concerned with that, if you think that we should stay on Facebook, um, which you'll still be able to get the link on Facebook um, and click on it and go to YouTube, but if, if you have a problem with that, then um, online followers post or send a message to the church or uh, talk to me later about it. So, um, okay, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for this time that we're able to gather here to learn from your word. Lord, we thank you so much for your holy scripture, and we ask that you would guide us now with your Holy Spirit to understanding the truth. Uh, Give us wisdom and uh, spiritual discernment in in reading your word and applying it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to Colossians, as Darren said, we are going through the book of Colossians, a book that Paul wrote, his letter to the church in Coloss. Um, We'll be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through uh, 23 today. And today we're going to talk about the supremacy of Christ. And this is a really neat section of the scripture, and I'm excited to uh, talk about it today. Um, the first thing, let me give you an idea of what's going on here. As we know that the, the church has been struggling, they're, they're doing okay, but they've been, they've been struggling with uh, entertaining other things in addition to Jesus, like different um, maybe idols or different uh, spirits. And so we see that come into play uh, with what Paul is about to tell them. That they're getting... Uh, getting some ideas that there are other spirits that are divine. Now, there are other spirits. Let's let's just uh, agree on that right now. There are plenty of other spirits, both uh, uh, evil and uh, perhaps good. We could say that um, we know that Scripture has angels, and, and maybe that is uh, something that we would consider a good spirit. Um, we also know that there are demons and and uh, spirits in the evil supernatural world. So there are other spirits. Now the the Gentiles that Paul is writing to here um, are are not necessarily giving us a clear idea of what their spirits are, but they are uh, believing that they are divine. And this is where we must draw the line. Divine spirits versus non-divine. These spirits that they are uh, putting stock in, um, including in their worship, uh, are from things like inanimate objects, um, maybe from nature, like the spirits of the water or the trees or or perhaps spirits from the deceased. And this is the culture that they're in. The non-believers and the Gentiles, when we say non-believers today, we would think of an atheist. The 
the non-believers, the Gentiles in this period, wouldn't have been someone who didn't believe in anything, but they rather most likely would have believed in lots of things, as opposed to just one God, um, like the, the Jewish culture. They believed in one God. But these folks, the Gentiles, believed in, in many things. And so, in our scripture, um, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15 Uh, Paul is going to address this. Notice that these next verses, if you're looking at your text in your Bible, they are um, offset or or, um, in a different format than the rest of the scripture around it, verses 15 through 20. Um, This is because this writing, these few verses, takes on a different style in the letter that Paul is writing. It could be a hymn that the early church has put together to help them remember who Jesus is. It would have had singing in that church, and it could be that uh, that's what this is, and, and Paul is bringing it up. Um, it would make sense to me because, you know, what better thing to remind the church about um, through than uh, using a song that either they are, are already singing, so they already know it, or by giving them one in which they can use in their church. I think you probably would agree with me, you know, um, that songs can be very catching. You know, I, I often quote songs in, in my sermons and, and to my family. And um, if, if I quote a song in my sermon um, and you have heard that song, then there's a pretty good chance that you will start singing it in your head. Might even get stuck there for the afternoon. I don't know what kind of songs that you are influenced by or that you like. I asked my uh, wife and my daughter, and they say <clears throat> the songs that they're most likely to be singing get stuck in their head are, are the modern worship songs. And I love the modern worship songs. Um, I love singing them. The ones, though, that get stuck in my head are the old hymns. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. How great... Thou art, how great thou art. And just thinking those words in the old hymns, I could, I could repeat that in my head and sing it over and over. Every fence post I drive, I'll just sing the same verse because I usually can't remember the third and second and fourth verses. And I just sing that one verse over and over and over again. So what better way for Paul to get this word that Christ is supreme into the folks there than to introduce or remind them of a song. Now, the catchiness, uh, of, if you will, the, the rhythm of this, the rhyming and the cadence has been lost through translation. So the beauty of this song in, in that form, uh, we're probably missing out on because it's, it's in the English words instead of the original language, but the meaning of it is still very true. It could be that this is a poem. Perhaps um, it is the the words of a poem that someone has wrote and he's quoting it, or it could be that uh, Paul perhaps is a bit of a poet himself. Uh, maybe he wrote this and it's specifically designed to rhyme and to stick in the mind of the person who is reading it. One way or the other, Paul doesn't spend time addressing every spirit that the people are thinking about. Oh, we could. 
Paul, we know, is, I guess we could say he's a debater. He doesn't shy away from things. He's ready to rise up to any challenge. And so if he had to take on every spirit that they say is divine, by the way, divine meaning, meaning godly, meaning as the God, if Paul needed to take on every spirit that they suggest is divine, then he could. And he would very well be, uh, he would be adequate in dealing with that. But he, he doesn't. It would take a lot of time to address every single one. So instead, he saves a lot of time and trouble. He's cut straight to the most important thing, which is Christ Jesus. He is supreme. He is not a God. He is the God. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And that's, that's how this song or poem starts out. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For him, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God is, for God in all fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let's run through this beautiful piece of work uh, verse by verse and get to the, the meat and potatoes of this piece of work. Verse 15. Visible image. You mean we can see God? We can actually lay eyes upon God and see Him? Yes. Yes. Oh, many folks laid eyes on on the visible image of God. Jesus, when He was here on earth, they got to speak with Him and hang out with Him. Oh, wouldn't it have been great to be one of the apostles or one of the people that got to spend time with him? Oh, but then it would be difficult to see what he had to go through. Now, we don't see the physical uh, man of Jesus himself with us. But now we can see the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, by looking at our church, our church, his body. Here he is, the visible image 
of God Himself? Have you ever looked in your Christian brother or sister and been able to see God working through them? See the love that they have for others? See that God is living in them. This verse says, He existed before anything. That He was the firstborn. Other translations say uh, firstborn, if you're looking out of the NIV or uh, those other translations. And firstborn at first makes me uh, wonder, wait a second, what is it talking about uh, firstborn? Because because Christ Jesus was not uh, born at the first. He came to earth and he was born as a baby child in human image. But <clears throat> to say that uh, Christ was born makes me think he was created at some point, which is false. Christ Jesus was not created. Uh, firstborn, when it says this, has nothing to do with time, as in Jesus being the first man, but has everything to do with rank. Think about the culture at that period of time. The firstborn son would have been given a lot of responsibility, a lot of rights, would have been a first on the list of ones who inherited from that family. They would be the ones who would take care of the family. They were the firstborn. Think of it in terms of our, our presidents these days. Uh, well, and in our country... We have first ladies. <clears throat> the president's wife we call first lady. They're not the first woman. Of course not. Lots of women. But rather their title comes from the relationship to the one who is in charge. They're married to the president. So they're called first lady, firstborn. Firstborn meaning one word. He existed before anything. That is Jesus. Always has been, always was, and always will be. So Jesus is the firstborn because of his relation. His relation to God the Father. He was not created because he is God. Uh, R.C. Sproul said that one thing God cannot do is duplicate himself. Interesting, isn't it? A God couldn't make another one of him because God was not made. That would be creating, and God cannot create something if it is to not be created. We confuse ourselves all day long about that, but Jesus was not created. But, verse 16 tells us that everything was created through Jesus. Everything was created through the Son. And John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says, In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. God created everything through Jesus and for Him. 
for him. Think about that for a minute. The holy and perfect God custom made you through Jesus for himself. Now, if you're a craft person or or someone who likes to build things, if if you're going to make something uh, for yourself, then it's going to be something special just the way that you want it. I know we have some quilters in here, and uh, they like to sew, and they would make lots of quilts, and, and maybe quilts to give to other people, or quilts to sell, or raffle off, but if they were to make a quilt for themselves, it would have uh, something on that beautiful quilt that represented what they loved or what they liked or they would make it rugged so that it can last on camping trips if they were to go on camping trips they would make it just exactly what they wanted and how they wanted it and God creates us everyone through Jesus and he's perfect and so he's made you just the way he wants you to be That's how you've been made. By a holy and perfect God. Now verse 17 gives us the idea that there is a unique balance in the universe. We know that is is the case. Um, We have a sun that gives us light during the day and there's stars and and the earth and it, it... it spins and somehow all works together to uh, make it possible for us to, to live. And the earth is spinning at so many thousand or hundred feet per second. I don't even know what I'm talking about really, but it's all complex. And somehow it actually works that the gravity um, keeps us on the earth. And if there was no gravity, if everything was off just a, a little bit, then we would be flung off the earth like a stone flung out of my son's slingshot and we would be uh, gone. But somehow, everything works together so it's all perfect and life is possible because Jesus holds it together. Everything that he's made, he makes in a way so that not only was it created through Jesus, but he holds it together. Are you picking up the supremacy of Jesus? Uh, what does supremacy mean? Uh, some, some translations say preeminence of Christ. Supreme. What is supreme? Well, it's the pizza that has all the stuff on it. You just put everything on it. That's supreme pizza. So what is um, Jesus, if he is supreme, if he is uh, supreme in the fact that no one else is even comparable... Uh, The definition of supreme, by the way, is superior to all others. The supremacy of something means superior, more powerful, better, uh, whatever you want to say, more of. Now, at the top of is what Jesus is. uh, Supreme, superior. Jesus holds it all together because he is supreme. 
I'll think about things that sometimes people worry about. Uh, global warming, um, earthquakes, hurricanes, war, whatever. All these things may impact us. But don't worry. Tomorrow will come and go as it always has until Jesus comes back. And why is that? Because He's the one who holds it together. And when He decides that it's time to do something different, we'll know about it. Of all the things He holds together, we need to remember that He will hold His body, the church, together. We sometimes do a lot of things that people think will put into check that ability for the Lord to hold things together, to hold His church together. And we need, to, we need to remember to put those human concerns aside and just focus on the Christ. He is the head of our church. Verse 18, He's the head. He is at the top. He's supreme over the resurrection. Now, interestingly enough, in, in, this, in this song or poem, whatever you would like to think it, the first line, verse 15, says that Christ is supreme over creation. He has created um, all of us and everything, and, now, and he was supreme over that. And now, in this verse, um, this line, he is supreme over resurrection. It's kind of like bookends. Supreme over the creation, and then for there to be resurrection, then there has to be a ceasing of one kind, and we can say uh, body, since we're dealing with the resurrection, the ceasing of one kind of body, and the raising up to a new kind of body. If you believe in Jesus Christ and have put your faith in Him, then just as sure as you were created, you will be resurrected after you die. And that's because Jesus has been there and done that. Jesus has experienced resurrection. He has experienced the death and the lives that we live. And he did it for you. He is the head of the church and he is supreme over the resurrection. First in everything. Number one in everything. Verse 19. This one's a little hard to swallow. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. It it would seem that God came down to be a man and inside of Jesus, witnessed and experienced all the pain, people uh, mocking Jesus, uh, slandering him, persecuting him, physically abusing him, and all of the horrible things that Jesus had to see and witness of people doing on the earth, not even to him, but to other people. And it had to be painful for God to see that firsthand. We know God sees everything, but for him to experience it as a man. <clears throat> but 
he was pleased during that time to live in Christ? Even though it was hard to swallow, it shows us his love, the love that he has for us. He must love us so, so very much. More than we can imagine if he was pleased to live in Jesus. He was pleased because what happened to Christ on the cross and through his resurrection is what made peace with us. Salvation that we have now. And that's where Paul ends this song or this poem on a note of reconciliation. Verse 20. Through him God reconciled everything to himself and made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, those of you who are married have uh, probably experienced some sort of argument. And if you haven't, meet with me afterwards. I need some advice. With a relationship, any kind of a relationship, uh, you're going to experience bad times and good times. And I, I wonder if you can remember and feel the feeling of what it's like when you come out of a bad time. When you reconcile after a difficult argument, and it's good again. Like with your wife or your husband, uh, things are good again, and you are like this again, and, and you're happy to see each other, and, and you're um, you know, looking forward to the next time you get to see them when you go to work. Uh, when you get home, you're looking forward to seeing them again. Um, things are good, reconciled. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Reconciled. Oh, before Jesus came, there wasn't reconciliation. There wasn't peace. Everything wasn't good. They knew of a good God. And they had relationship with a good God. And the faithful believers, they knew that something good was going to happen. But it hadn't until Jesus came and reconciled them by giving his life. So let's switch out of song mode here and go into application mode. We've been through the song, the poem, and I want you to remember that this book of Colossians is a letter to the church, the body of Christ, and it is for the church. These three verses that come after this song, they outline the Christian's past, present, and future. Uh, Verse 21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. This is how it goes. And I'm speaking to you who are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, once you were far from God. You were an enemy of his way. All all of us were. You might say, well, I I wasn't really an enemy of God before I was a Christian. I mean, 
I didn't persecute other believers like Paul did before he was a Christian. So I wasn't, I wasn't an enemy. Yes, you were. Here's why. God loves you. And he wants you to be with him in heaven for eternity. And before you trusted in him, that wasn't happening. Look at it like this. If we could say, how dare you keep you, one of his loved ones, from God? Yourself. How did you do it? How do we do it? How does anybody keep their, their selves from heaven? Well, this verse says, <clears throat> our evil thoughts and actions. Man, <clears throat> everybody has evil thoughts and evil actions. Even the believer has evil thoughts and actions. But, but when you become a Christian, the actions uh, should start rapidly dying. And then the evil thoughts will follow and they will start dying as well. Uh, my tree stand for uh, deer hunting. Just the other day, there was a, a big old poison ivy vine about that big around. And it was growing all the way up the tree. And then beautiful leaves and berries. And, and we know poison ivy is an evil plant. It, it didn't uh, get its poison until after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And now it's an evil plant. But it, it looked beautiful. But I knew it was bad. So I... Uh, took my chainsaw and cut the very bottom of it off and then uh, gently walked away from it and cut some other trees so my chain would get different kind of wood on it and I wouldn't get poison ivy. And a week later, I noticed that it's starting to die. It's starting to shrivel because I cut the roots off. Even though the Christian has evil thoughts and actions, if we're able to stop those actions, then the thoughts in our mind that we once entertained start to shrivel because we're not feeding them with the physical uh, gratification that our minds want. And so they start to shrivel up and we start working on our road of following Jesus, sanctification. In our past, we were enemies of the supreme Christ. We were separated, alienated, missing out on salvation. Verse 22, but now, but now, even though in our past we were enemies, in the present we are holy and blameless as we stand before him. He has reconciled us and here we are in his presence, holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. First uh, Peter chapter one verse sixteen. For the scriptures say, "You must be holy, because I am holy." Holy is not a thing that I, I really think that I can achieve, and I can't. We can't just be holy on our own. It can't happen. This verse in First Peter says that we must be holy. Because I am holy. Because God is holy. Uh, verse 22, Colossians here. Again, it says, you know, only with Christ can we be without a single fault. Uh, remember when you were a teenager? <clears throat> Hopefully not. 
if you're older, but it sometimes is a miserable time. But uh, th- this verse in uh, other translations says, without blemish. How many ever remember um, when you, man, no matter how hard you tried when you was a teenager to keep your face clean, do what your mama said, you would still have a blemish on your face the day the pictures came in high school. No matter how hard you try, you can't be 100% free of defects, blemishes, faults. You can't be free of those 100% unless you are in the presence of Jesus. If you're in His presence, then you can. So you placed your faith in Jesus, and you are holy, and now you will live happily ever after. No blemishes, no struggling, everything is peachy, not so fast. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, here's the future part. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. You are going to have to continue. You guys, some of you work out um, and you work real hard to gain that muscle or to be able to run a long ways. And if you just stop doing that working out and don't do any more working out, you live your regular life, then the muscle or the the power of your lungs is going to slowly go away. You must continue continue muscle apathy I, I i guess if after my thumb gets healed up they say i'm gonna have to work it and it'll be painful but after it feels i have to work it so that it will be good to use again you just don't work out for a, a little bit of time you continue to work it out it's the same thing with your faith james says i will show you my faith by my good deeds. He says, man, some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Now, I understand salvation is not through works. We've already addressed that. There's nothing we can do to be saved except put our faith in Jesus. But we must continue to put our faith in Him and continue to believe this truth and stand firm in that faith. No drifting. Another word that this this verse tells us, drifting, uh, and it's not the kind of drift that uh, you would do on a go-kart or a race car. It's the kind of drift that... Um, And I speak from experience, when you get into a boat and the waves start to take you out and you realize that you left your paddle on the bank and you get further out and further out and you're trying to paddle with your hands and that's not going to work. The further you go, the more impossible it seems to get back to shore. This is what happens when we allow ourselves to entertain other ideas like the, the church that Paul is writing to. We start to drift away further and further. But don't do it. Stand firm, Paul tells us. Christ is supreme. 
No drifting. <coughs> Only standing firm in Christ's supremacy. We must be so sure of the supremacy of Christ that we break out in song, that we sing praises to Him in the good times and in the tough times. Christ is so much superior to everything else that He gave His life for us and He's the only one that can give us eternal life in heaven. Will you accept that chance today? If you haven't already, will you put your faith in Him? And if you have, then will you continue to stand firm in that faith? Not drifting. Not slipping away, but continuing to do what is good. For He has made us holy. As much as that is hard to understand, He loves us and wants us to be with Him. We put our faith in Him. No faults. No blemishes. We're holy as He is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for Your Word. I pray over this place here, this body of Yours, God, that You would give us the boldness to go out and to be Your church. Lord, I thank you for your salvation, Jesus, that you are above everything else, first in everything. God, so thankful for what you've done for us and what you do for us daily. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be among us now as we sing another song to you, God, and as we continue our lives, not drifting but standing firm in your word and your love. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.